This morning, we're going to be in Genesis 24, and um, I'm going to read the whole chapter. Now, Abraham was old, well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh, that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and God of the earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred, and take a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, Perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must then I take your son back to the land from which you came? Abraham said to him, See to it that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring I will give this land. He will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine. Only you must not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham his master and swore to him concerning this matter. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. And he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of evening, the time when women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, Please let let down your jar, that I may drink, and who shall say, Drink, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jar on her shoulder. The young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden whom no, whom no man had known. She went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, Please give me a little water to drink from your jar. She said, Drink, my lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. When she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water and she drew for all his camels. The man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing a half shekel and two bracelets for her arms weighing ten gold shekels, and said, Please tell me whose daughter you are. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. She added, We have plenty of both straw and fodder and room to spend the night. The man bowed his head and worshipped the Lord and said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and faithfulness toward my master. 
As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsman. Then the young woman ran and told her mother's household about these things. Rebekah had a brother whose name was Laban. Laban ran out towards the man to the spring. As soon as he saw the ring and the bracelets on his sister's arms and heard the words of Rebekah his sister, thus the man spoke to me, he went to the man. And behold, he was standing by the camels at the spring. He said, Come in, O blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside? For I have prepared the house and a place for the camels. So the man came to the house and unharnessed the camels and gave straw and fodder to the camels. And there was water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. Then food was set before him to eat. But he said, I will not eat until I have said what I have to say. He said, Speak on. So he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has greatly blessed my master, and he has become great. He has given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, male servants and female servants, camels and donkeys. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when she was old, and to him he has given all that he has. My master made me swear, saying, You shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, in whose land I dwell, but you shall go to my father's house and to my clan and take a wife for my son. I said to my master, Perhaps the woman will not follow me. But he said to me, The Lord, before whom I have walked, will send his angel with you and prosper your way. You shall take a wife for my son from my clan and from my father's house. Then you will be free from my oath when you come to my clan. And if they will not give her to you, you will be free from my oath. I came today to the spring and said, O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, if now you are prospering the way that I go, behold, I am standing by the spring of water. Let the virgin who comes out to drink water, to draw water, to whom I shall say, Please give me a little water from your jar to drink. And who will say to me, Drink, and I will draw for your camels also. Let her be the woman whom the Lord has appointed for my master's son. Before I had finished speaking in my heart, behold, Rebekah came out with her water jar on her shoulder, and she went down to the spring and drew water. I said to her, Please let me drink. She quickly let down her jar from her shoulder and said, Drink, and I will give your camels drink also. So I drank, and she gave the camels drink also. Then I asked her, Whose daughter are you? She said, The daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, whom Milcah bore to him. So I put the ring on her nose and the bracelets on her arms. Then I bowed my head and worshipped the Lord and blessed the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who had led me by the right way to take the daughter of my master's kinsman for his son. Now then, if you are going to show steadfast love and faithfulness to my master, tell me, and if not, tell me, that I, that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, The thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you bad or good. Behold, Rebekah is before you. Take her and go, and let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has spoken. When Abraham's servant heard their words, he bowed himself to the earth before the Lord. And the servant brought out jewelry of silver and of gold and garments and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave to her brother and to her mother costly ornaments. And he and the men who were with him ate and drank, and they spent the night there. 
When they arose in the morning, he said, Send me away to my master. Her brother and her mother said, Let the young woman remain with us a while, at least ten days. After that she may go. But he said to them, Do not delay me, since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away that I may go to my master. They said, Let us call the young woman and ask her. And they called Rebekah and said to her, Will you go with this man? She said, I will go. So they sent away Rebekah, their sister, and her nurse, and Abraham's servant, and his men. And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, Our sister, may you become thousands of ten thousands, and may, your and may your offspring possess the gate of those who hate him. Then Rebekah and her young women arose and rode on the camels and followed the man. Thus the servant took Rebekah and went his way. Now Isaac had returned from Beer Lahai Roy and was dwelling in the Negeb. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening. And he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, there were camels coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel and said to the servant, Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, It is my master. So she took her veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. This is a very Old Testament narrative kind of passage. It's one of those, are you going to let the sound keep playing? Yeah. Okay. I mean, it's cool. I mean, I can, I can preach to, to soft, subtle, stringy sounds, but, but everybody who doesn't usually fall asleep might go ahead and fall asleep. Anyways, um, so anyways, uh, this is one of those like really Old testament kind of narrative passages where, where, where the, the writer says, I'm going to tell you what happened. And then I'm going to tell you how the person who was in what happened tells you what happened. And we end up saying the same thing two or three times, and it's, and it's very detailed, and we get it over and over and over again. But, but we get these portions, and it's like, you know, when it got to the end when the servant talk, saying to Isaac, he told him everything that happened. It's like, why didn't you do that the second time? Why didn't we just get that little summary? Well, probably because God really wants us to be able to understand what all is at play in this narrative, what all is at play in this story, why this story should matter. And as I was reading this story, and it's one of these, you know, people meeting for the first time and immediately getting married and all of this, and it's, it, it made me ask the question, you know, it, it reminded me of why, like, Disney owns everything, including, like, like, like everything. And it's because, like, for so long, Disney's kind of had the corner on the market for, like, like fairy tale love stories. Like, that's kind of what their, their whole thing's based on. It's like they're telling the kind of stories that, that we love to hear. They're telling the kinds of, it's like, oh, it's love at first sight, or oh, they were perfect for each other, or oh, she was the only one who the shoe would fit on, right? These are the kinds of stories that we're drawn to. These are the kind of stories that, that we want to hear. Everything works out perfectly. This betrothal, finding the perfect spouse, they lived happily ever after. And these are the kinds of stories that, that we like to hear. Even, even the guys, don't deny it, you like hearing these stories too because it's happy endings. 
Every, every single one of the guys was like, I don't like princess movies, but man, Lion King was awesome. That's a love story too. Every, every single, every single like, superhero movie you watch, in the end, there's going to be some sort of, of relationship or something where you get this kind of, everything worked out, they're all so happy. It's what we want. We want happy endings. We want these things to work together. And we kind of, we kind of see that play out in this story. That, that, that everything worked together perfectly so that Isaac and Rebecca could be married. There were no bumps in the road. This wasn't even one of those like rom-coms where all of a sudden there's some tension and then they get over it. Like, like everything just works out. And this, this is the kind of story that God is telling those kinds of stories seem like fiction, but it's the kind of story that we're in today. I mean, think about what all had been happening. Abraham has been promised by God, I'm going to make a great nation of you. I'm going to make your name great. And what do we see? Right off the bat, Abraham had been blessed by God. He had lots of, lots of things. Like We even see that in the gifts that he's giving. He's giving away all of these different amazing gifts, these very costly things, these expensive bracelets, all of this is just representative of the blessings that God had put upon Abraham. God had, God had fulfilled all of the promises that he had made that would happen specifically to Abraham, right? Abraham himself wasn't going to have, you know, as many children as the stars of the sky himself personally, he was going to be the father of all these, this great nation and all these kings who would come from him. All of that was going to be true. But, but specifically for Abraham, he's been, he's been made great. His name has been made great. He's been blessed. And he has his son Isaac, who the promise is going to continue to flow through. And so as we see this story play out, think about just how amazing it is that, that Abraham could, could call one of his servants in and say, hey, I'm going to send a bunch of stuff with you because God has given me so much. And I want you to take that and give that to the family of the person who sends their daughter back to marry my son. Right? It's just representative of the way that God has blessed Abraham and God has been faithful to Abraham in all the things that he had promised. The same thing that we've been saying for weeks and weeks, that God continues to be faithful to accomplish the things that he said he was going to do. And so Abraham calls his servant in. He says this weird thing about put your hand under my thigh. If you're wondering about that, so am I. I, I just imagine it's some sort of sub, uh, act of submission because I think you kind of have to be submitted to somebody. And like that's kind of a humbling place to be like, here, I'm going to put my hand under your thigh now, right? I, so if you're wondering, I don't have great explanation for what it means, but, I would, but societally it was, it was some sort of contract oath kind of, you know, pinky promise. Let's just go with, it, it was the pinky promise of the day. It was something like that. And yeah, it sounds weird, but the whole point is that he's trying to enter into this, this covenant almost with his servant saying, this is what I need you to accomplish. And he has a couple of very specific things that he asks him to do. He, yes, he's supposed to go and find a wife for his son Isaac. Um, and he says very specifically, I want you to go back to my people. I don't want my son's wife to come from the Canaanites. And you may be saying, but, but God called him here. Why wouldn't he want him to just pick a wife from among the Canaanites? And, and, and I think this has to do with what Israel will be told later on. When they, when they come back and they, 
and they are, you know, millions and millions strong, and they're, and they're taking, and they're kind of taking the land that God has given them, and they're moving back into the land of the Canaanites. God says specifically, I don't want you to intermarry with the Canaanites for fear that they will pull your heart away. And I think this is kind of the first example of the way that God is going to work with Israel. Not that he does not want them to preach his name and see people be saved and understand who the God of Israel is, but rather that at this, at this young stage in the life of God's people, it is vital that they not have their hearts drawn away. He doesn't want his heart to be drawn away from God by marrying into a family of people who worship other gods. He wants people to go back who are going to know the God of Abraham and know who Abraham is so that they might continue to follow God. If you're looking for some practical advice on what that could mean, that probably means that missionary relationships are a bad idea. Perhaps you've experienced this. I mean, that used to be the thing when we were in youth group. It's like, well, no, they're not a believer, but I'm going to date them, and that's going to be the thing. I'm going I'm to use my relationship so that they can know who Jesus is. And it doesn't work that way. In fact, in the New Testament, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul says specifically, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? And so Abraham is super concerned for the sake of his son that he not enter himself into a relationship that is going to pull his heart away from God. Because, because it's not like there's this huge community of God-fearers, God-believers at this point. It is Abraham and his family. That's it. And so it's very important that, that he finds somebody who's going to pursue Abraham and the God, of, the God of Abraham in the way that Abraham has been teaching his family to do so. So, so when, when, we're, when, we're in, when we're in opportunities to build relationships with people who are unsaved, that's a good thing. But, but we shouldn't be looking to enter into like marriage relationships or dating relationships with those who are unsaved for, for this reason. Because God is concerned for our heart and it's a whole lot easier to be pulled away from God than to be in a relationship and pull somebody in. The other thing that Abraham promised was that he did not want Isaac to go back with the servant to find a wife. And I think the reason for that is because Abraham knew that he had been called out of that location and given this new home in Canaan. We talked about this last week. He now has physical property that he has legal right to. Like he has established himself as, as I am a homeowner in this land. This is me. This is where my family has been called to be. And he doesn't want Isaac to go back for fear that, maybe for fear that Isaac would, would, would fall in love and stay there and then his family would be taken out of the land that God had called him to. It, the, the location was very specific and central to God's covenant with Abraham. It wasn't just that I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my people. It's that I'm going to be your God, you're going to be my people in this place. And that location was specific to the fulfilling of God's promises. And so Abraham is saying, don't let him go back. He needs to stay here because the location is part of the covenant that I've made with God. That we will live here, and that we will prosper here, and that we will grow here is important. So, so he doesn't want his son's heart drawn away by marrying with somebody who's following other gods. And at the same time, he doesn't want his son drawn back into the place that he had been called out of. 
He doesn't want him to go back to the place that he was told, you're going to come here and you're going to live here and your family is going to grow here. So Abraham sends his servant. And again, it's, it reiterates. He put his hand under his thigh. Again, weird, I know, it's, it's odd. Makes this promise, I will do that. And, and Abraham says, specifically, if neither of these things can happen, then, then you're released from your oath. Right? Like, if, if, if she doesn't want to come back, don't take my son out there. You're out. You're good. But, but Abraham, Abraham blessed him and says, I believe that this is what God is going to do. Because, because at this point, we've said, Abraham's kind of gotten to the point where he trusts God fully. He was not afraid to obey God when God called him to sacrifice Isaac. And he believed that God was going to find a way. And God demonstrated that he was, in fact, going to find a way. And he did come up with a replacement for Isaac. And he did not require that Abraham would sacrifice his son. So, so at this point, Abraham trusts God fully. And, and even though the servant may be a little bit nervous, you know, is this going to work out? Is this going to go the way it's supposed to? Abraham is fully confident that God is going to continue to be faithful. And so he sends his servant on his way. And, and, and the rest of the story is really just one of God's sovereignty of God orchestrating events together perfectly as only God can, and God step after step after step demonstrating that He is in control. He is in charge. He's got it, and there's nothing that we would need as we are reading this story to worry about. Right? Because think about what happens, right? The servant walks up. He gets to the place. He says, okay, I know that all the women are going to be coming out here to get water, so we're going to stop here. He, he, he gets the camels to sit down. That, to me, is the most amazing part of the story. If you've ever tried to get an animal the size of a camel to do anything, trust me, we used to do the llama thing. You can ask me about that later. You're like, llama, it's time for you to sit down. They don't. They don't listen. So just the fact that he says, and then he had all the camels sit down, I'm like, that's an act of God right there. See, God must be sovereign. But anyway, so they, they kind of sit down and wait. And, and then the servant prays. He says, O God of my master Abraham. Right? Like, I think just the, the testimony that Abraham has in this moment, that, that his servant believes and is trusting in the God that he has been following, says so much of who Abraham is as a master, as a father of that household by this point. That all those who are around him are beginning to see who God is and believe in the things that God is able to accomplish. And so, and so he prays, God, it, I wish that as you send this person out, I'm going to ask somebody for water. Let that person be the one. Right? Let that be the one that you have picked for Isaac. And, and, and he says, he even goes so far as to say, when I ask her to give me a drink of water, let her offer to water the camels as well. And this seems silly, and it even seems like testing God. But it reminds me a lot of Gideon in Judges, right? When Gideon says, God, if you really want me to do this, I'm going to lay this fleece out on the ground. And maybe in the morning, the grass can be wet and the fleece can be dry. And if that is true, then I know that that's what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to go and serve you in this way. And he wakes up the next morning, and that's honored, and God is there's dew on the grass and the fleece that he set out is dry. And he says, well, let's, let's try this one more time, right? And, and he puts out the fleece. He said, this time, what if the grass is dry, but the fleece is wet? And now I may have gotten those out of order. You can double check me on that. But, but in the next morning, it happens. The fleece is wet and the grass is dry. And he has this confirmation. And, and, and yes, we're not meant 
to test God. We're not meant to tempt God. We're not meant to put, like, right? We're not supposed to put our God to the test, right? But there are these examples that we get in Scripture where, where, where people are asking a God, is this what you're wanting me to do? You know, if you can, show me in this way, and I would love to obey. I, I, I think we have to be careful about how we handle that sort of thing because I don't think we want to just be like superstitiously saying, all right, God, so I'm going to put my right hand up. Sorry, I almost forgot which one my right hand was. I'm going to put my right hand up and, and if you give me the strength to keep my hand up for an hour, then I'll know that this is what I'm supposed to do. I mean, if we do things like that all the time, I don't think that's really us seeking the will of God. It's just trying, maybe trying to find some sort of superstitious solution to a conundrum that we find ourselves in. So maybe that's not like prescriptive of you should always do this. But, but the faith that the servant says, like, God, if you could just bless me in this way, and, and maybe if it worked out this way. And, and we see that God was willing to honor that. And that's what's amazing is that, that everything that he asked God to do is exactly how it worked out. 100%. She comes in. He asks for a drink. She, she gives him a drink, says, here, you drink that. I'm going to go get some water for your camels as well. And, and he immediately, and, and this is the part that I love, his response to seeing God answer his prayers, his response to seeing God working all of these things out perfectly is what? Worship. Praise. Face down on the ground, blessing God, Right? And he does this on several occasions, even, even later on after they go and meet with, the, with Rebecca's family and they say, yes, this is good. It's good that God has done this. We believe and we're willing. We're, we're going to honor this call of God. The servant, down on his knees, face down before God, praising God and blessing him. And it's worth us asking ourselves, when we see God doing things, do we take it for granted or are we overwhelmed and amazed that he has been faithful yet again and are immediately drawn into this big, boisterous response of praise to our God who is sovereign over all of this? What is your response? Do you even notice when God accomplishes these things? Are you numb to the fact sometimes that he's been doing amazing things and working all of these things out? Maybe it's, maybe it's some area, you know, professionally, or maybe it's in your school, or maybe it's in some relationship that you're in. But, but, but do we stop and realize what God has done and become overwhelmed and excited and ready to praise Him and worship Him because of the amazing things that He's done? Because this whole story is God's sovereignty and orchestration over Isaac's marriage. God had Rebekah picked for him before the foundation of the world. So there was when, if you ever do premarital with us, you're going to take a test called Prepare and Rich. And it's basically this. You answer a bunch of questions and it tells you not whether or not you should get married, but it tells you if you're going to get married, these are the areas that you will probably struggle in. These are some areas that you need to grow in. Um, Tiff and I took this before we got married, and I don't even think this question is on the test anymore, uh, but there used to be a question, and I remember it. Uh, there's a question on there. It was a yes or no question, and it was, do you believe there is only one person that you could possibly be married to that would ever make you perfectly happy? It's basically like the, do you, are, are, are you... Are you 
Are you in the, I mean, it's a little bit of a free will versus uh, sovereignty of God question with regard to relationships. Like, do you believe God's got the one? Is the one a thing? That's kind of the question. Is the one a thing? Yes or no? And, and depending on, I mean, I'm not going to get into, I don't even remember what I answered, which says something. Because I was pretty free will at that point. No, I'm not. I couldn't dig a hole bigger than the one I'm already in. I'm just always in a hole. But the point was to say, what is your opinion about how God works out in marriage? And I was, I was a little bit in a different place theologically at that point. Now I would have absolutely said, yes, God has a specific plan. And I, and I think this kind of plays out scripturally. And we're going to talk about this because I know all of us have different, relation, different relationships with relationships. Does that make sense the way I said that? We all have different relationships with marriage or with dating or with you know, engagement, any of those things. Um, but I just want to, I want to show in Scripture, uh, just for a second, just a case for God being sovereign over even our relationships. And I think Jeremiah 1.5 is the perfect verse for this, but we kind of have to, we got to do a little work with it. Not in a weird way, but Jeremiah 1.5 says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. So, so God is telling Jeremiah in his call, hey, I already knew who you were going to be. I knew what your specific call was going to be long before I formed you in the womb. But to me, that also implies that he knew exactly what, what circumstances would be true in Jeremiah's life to get him to the point that he was going to be, that he knew, you know, before he formed him in the womb. He knew who he was going to be. He knew what genetic makeup Jeremiah was going to have. I mean, if you want to go so far as that, God knew and understood and made all of these things happen for Jeremiah, which would have to include Jeremiah's parents, Jeremiah's family. And so I, I, I kind of think that we can take this understanding of God's sovereignty over the way that we're crafted as individuals to say that God is sovereign over the way that our family is crafted before us. And granted, we all have different relationships with family. We all have different relationships with marriage. We all have different relationships with all... We all come from different places and we all have different experiences and different circumstances that have brought us to the place where we are right now right where you're sitting, right where we're talking about this. But here's the thing. God is sovereign over the relationships that we're in, just like he's demonstrating with Isaac and Rebecca. I mean, you cannot deny that God has his hand in bringing these two people together. And we know that God's promise is going to transfer from Abraham down to Isaac and continue so that he can make a great nation out of Abraham's children. So God has his hand specifically in this marriage, and I don't think that marriage is limited only to that. God is sovereign over the relationships that we're in. Even if marriage is a struggle, even if marriage doesn't last, it does not mean that God did not orchestrate that and desire that specific match for you for that period. Because I can't say universally, and everything because God's involved is going to be perfect. Because, I mean, I just, I just said a few seconds ago that I don't remember how I answered that one question on the test. So obviously my marriage isn't perfect because I didn't memorize every single answer on that test. We all have 
different places that we are. We all are experiencing marriage or family in different ways. But I don't want us to lose sight of the fact that God is sovereign over all of it. God is working in all of it. Even if it's tough right now, even if there are bad parts of life right now, even if things are hard, that does not mean that God has forgotten you. That does not mean that God doesn't care or that he's walked away and that's why everything's bad. No, God is intimately and closely involved in your life. God is working all things out, everything. No matter where you are, God has put you in that place for a specific reason. And soon, maybe if it's bad now, you'll be able to look back and say, this is what God was doing. This is why I was experiencing this. This is why this part of my life was hard. Because look, God has done this. And now look at where I am. Look at what God has accomplished through my life. And you're able to praise him and worship him as you see that he had his hand in all of these things. Rebecca's willingness to go, to leave her family. They said, can we have her for like another week and a half? That'd be cool. She's like, no, I'm ready. Let's go. Her willingness to go, even in that moment, just kind of shows her wholehearted abandon to trust God. I mean, God has already demonstrated to her, this is exactly who I am and this is exactly what I'm desiring to happen. And we're seeing how specific God's answer to prayers have been in this moment. She's ready to go. She's not questioning, which, which demonstrates that the Abraham's desire to have somebody from his family be the one who comes and marries Isaac was right because, because he's found somebody who's going to pursue God with him. She's not going to pull his heart away. She's ready to follow God wherever that takes her, even if that means leaving her family and moving to a new land, just like Abraham had already done. She's ready to go. So Abraham sends this servant out and says, I believe that God is sovereign over this and that he's going to give you victory in this and that all of these things are going to work together perfectly. And, and it just got me thinking, you know, what are we supposed to do with that? Like, is this a story where at the end I tell you all, now I want all of you to go back to the country that your family is from and pick a wife and God will sovereignly give that to you. No, that's not, that's not the purpose. I mean, maybe God calls some of you to that. I don't know, but I can't. That's, that's not what I think we as, as CRC, as Christ Reconciled Church, are supposed to do. You know, we, we, we use these words not as frequently as I wish we did. We, we could be better at it. But, you know, we talked about this last year when we were talking about mission, and we talked about grow, mature, reach, um, that, we would, that we would grow as a church. Like, that would be people being added to the church through salvation, or that we would be... Um, maturing, that we would be growing in Christ, that we would be knowing him better, and that we'd be reaching, we'd be going outside of the doors and building relationships with people and showing them who Jesus is and welcoming them into the family of God. And it just reminded me of Matthew 9, verse 37 and 38. This is Jesus talking. He says, Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. We can have the same confidence that God is going to give his church victory 
in carrying out the great commission that, that Abraham's servant had when he went on his mission, got down and prayed and said, God, give me victory, give me victory in this way. Like, like he's essentially praying, it's almost as if he's praying for the harvest. Like the harvest in this case is a wife for his master Isaac. But the prayer and the heart behind it are very similar to the prayer that we would pray if we said, God, send us out and give us victory as we take the gospel with us, right? Just this last week, we started going out and walking around downtown and praying together again. Uh, this, this, was, this was a really powerful part of who we were when we planted CRC. It's how we met a lot of people, just by being out, walking around, praying, talking to people. We started that again this last Wednesday. I think it's going to be really good for us as a church. I mean, just the way that we, the way that we get to you know, talk to one another as we walk around, pray for one another as we're out walking around, um, praying for people that we, that we meet along the way. But we can have the same confidence that the servant displayed here in praying that God, and, and, and that Ma- in Matthew, Jesus was talking about, like, the harvest is there. The people that God is going to save are there. God is sovereign, right? He calls him the Lord of the harvest. God who is sovereign over salvation. God who is sovereign over the people becoming disciples. That God, the same God who's able to work out perfectly this relationship for Isaac and Rebecca, that kind of fairy tale moment where they where, where he's even the first person that she sees when she gets there and she says, hey, who's that guy? And the servant says, that's the guy you're here to marry. And then she's like, let's get married. Right? That moment, that, that, I mean, you could almost call that like that love at first sight fairy tale kind of moment. And then everything kind of comes together and works. Like that, that fairy tale idea that we're reading about here and we say that's not real life, that is real life. Because, because that kind of fairy tale ending is the reason we tell these kinds of stories is because we are living in one of those kinds of stories. We, as the church, have a perfect spouse in Christ. We are the bride of Christ as his church. We have the perfect husband in Christ. Like, like we don't, even if part of our life is awful, or even if our, the relationships that we're in are terrible, and maybe we haven't found that kind of relationship, God hasn't given it to us yet. If you are in Christ, you have experienced that storybook kind of this is it moment. And that's why we love those stories. That's why we tell those stories. That's why the world is so drawn to those stories because because we're so built to be drawn to Christ. We're so built to be added to the church, the bride of Christ. And when we look at our lives in that way, when we look back and see, look at how faithful God has been to us. Look at, look at this life that God has given us as believers. And if you're not a believer, I hope you're hearing the, this and you're, and, you're, and you're understanding, oh, this is what salvation can look like. This is what it can mean. This is the thing that I have been missing. And I hope that's what you're hearing. That through Christ, this kind of a storybook ending is possible. But for those of us who are in Christ, 
We should hear these things and look back and just like that servant be so overwhelmed by God's faithfulness and his goodness and his sovereignty and his ability to make all of these things work together so flawlessly that we are driven to worship. Good song choice, Nick. I just saw where we're going. This is a good one. It's the perfect answer to this. It's this understanding that God is faithful and that God is doing these things and our response to that is worship. So so my prayer this morning is that that as you're you're looking at these things, you're looking at your life, maybe maybe you're looking at your life and you're saying, I don't have a storybook kind of life. I don't have the fairy tale ending. It's not love at first sight and everything's great, the shoe fits, and then I get carried off to the castle and everything's amazing. I don't live in a castle. I don't think Tiff could carry me there if she wanted to. But we have that kind of relationship in Christ. And I hope that as you can, you can look at where Christ has you, that, that all of the things that seem painful, that seem bad, that, that seem like this is, a, this is a mean thing that God has done, it wouldn't seem that way because you see that you have something even greater in Him, in Christ. And so that's my prayer this morning, and that's what I hope you get out of this, that you just see how perfectly God is working everything out all the time, how sovereign He is over all of these things, and that that drives you to worship. Let's pray.